welcome to talc teaching and learning consultation skills this is the talc talks podcast helping everyone who sees patients to improve their consultation skills to get better outcomes and this approach can even increase your job satisfaction podcast concerns the module TALC Essential Skills for Effective Explanations and Planning of Personalised Care. It's about the chapter which is called How are Bad News Conversations Opportunities to Show That You Really Care About Your Patient? Breaking bad news is often considered quite a difficult skill. Partly this is because the skills needed to break bad news Build on all the skills of the consultation, including those required for beginning consultations effectively, preparation and planning, and responding to the patient with active listening and empathy. Having good explanation skills and familiarity with collaborating with patients to make personalised care plans will also help any clinician who has to break bad news. However, the clinician must also prepare themselves psychologically to be able to use the skills for breaking bad news effectively. Clinicians who work with patients inevitably come into contact with illness, disease, suffering and death. If the aim of our work is to cure sometimes, alleviate often and comfort always, we sometimes find ourselves focusing excessively on the cure sometimes part, forgetting that ageing, death and disease are inevitable and we'll never be able to cure everyone. Medical care is sometimes portrayed as heroic, with powerful treatments curing even serious conditions like cancer. Clinicians are sometimes almost idolised when they bring about effective cures. This can be matched by a painful and disconcerting disappointment for clinician and patient alike when it becomes clear that there is bad news. A new serious or untreatable disease perhaps, progression of an existing disease, treatment failure or even impending death. Clinicians can sometimes feel themselves to be at fault when a disease progresses and ask themselves, could we have done more? They fear being blamed. As a preliminary to sharing any bad news with the patient, the clinician needs to first understand who the news really belongs to. However tragic, the reality of our work is that bad things happen, even to good people. In difficult situations, clinicians need to provide their professional support. This means understanding the news fully before giving it, being able to provide support and safely hold a patient's emotional responses, and knowing what the options for the next steps are likely to be. Many clinicians are rather uncomfortable in the presence of strong emotions, especially if patients express their grief about bad news with anger, tears, or unrealistic expectations. It's hardly surprising then that clinicians worry about how to break bad news and fear that their skills will not be enough to get them through difficult consultations. However, developing skills in this area is both necessary and possible for all clinicians. There are some distinct stages and careful attention to all of these will make the process go rather more smoothly. Such conversations will never be easy or pleasant, but if they're done well, they can build an effective relationship with the patient that will carry through to whatever is coming next. 
The stages to giving bad news are often discussed as if the key issue is somehow using the correct protocol or the right mnemonic. Guides to giving bad news are helpful prompts, but the key skill is to be able to stage the news and to hear properly and work with the patient's responses to that news. These are the skills covered in the chapter Talc skills for effective explanations is chunking and checking a good way to eat an elephant. When the breaking of bad news goes wrong, it's usually because there's been an attempt to miss something out, to hurry through the process, or when the clinician themselves finds it difficult to observe distress or strong emotion. Let's consider these stages. Preparation for the clinician. The clinician needs to prepare themselves and to create the time and space for a quiet and private conversation. The clinician should explore their own feelings a bit about what they're going to say. Are they sad and upset because it seems that their patient's life is to be shortened? Are they fearful of blame? Are they worried that they will not know what to do if a patient weeps or expresses other strong emotions? Simply being aware of what causes apprehension to you can help and if possible Discuss this with a colleague beforehand, because this will help you to be prepared psychologically. Other preparation needs to be more pragmatic. Prepare the room to be private, uninterrupted, and allocate time for the conversation. Ensure the patient is accompanied, if that's what they would prefer. And think to yourself, what exactly is the news? Make sure you have all the details to hand, so that any questions can be answered easily. It's also helpful to know in advance what the plan is likely to be. Will this be a referral, more treatment, a change of focus to palliative care perhaps? In an emergency situation, for example an unexpected leukaemia on a blood test, it's helpful to have a conversation with the admitting team in advance so that you can tell the patient the specialist is expecting you today and tell them exactly where that expectation is. Are they going to the ward? Are they going to the clinic? Are they going to A&E? Think about preparation for the patient. The patient needs to be prepared that big news is coming. After using their usual skills to establish rapport and perhaps to set an agenda, the clinician can say something like, I have information about your health which is quite significant. I'd like to discuss it with you. Or maybe the results are back and show some significant changes we need to discuss. Even at this initial stage, a pause to allow the patient to respond is useful. Sometimes the patient will make it clear that they themselves are expecting bad news. Inviting a response by saying something like, what do you know already about the tests and what we're looking for, can help to orientate the patient to what is to follow. Patient responses should be handled with empathy and without judgment. Empathic comments should relate to the individual wherever possible. It's better to say something like, this news has come at a bad time so soon after your father's death, which relates to the individual patient, rather than, this must be awful for you, which is a generic response that could be said to almost anyone. Another stage is to assess the patient's own starting point. This is really important. What do they know already about their condition? What have they been anticipating? How much information do they like to have? Most people want a lot of information, but a few patients just want the basic details. Always remember to give the information in stages, in chunks, and use pauses to allow the patient time to respond after every piece of information. 
be guided by the patient's response as to how quickly to disclose all the details, remembering to use the skills of chunking and checking that we mentioned before. Respond with empathy and kindness to whatever comes up for the patient. It's important to state the reality accurately, although gently. A very harsh and direct, well it's a cancer actually, can be so disturbing for some patients that they shut down and simply do not hear anything else. A gradual approach can build up to the basic information. The news is not what we hoped. The scan and the biopsy do show something very significant. Allow a pause for the information to sink in and gauge the patient's response. Are they ready for you to continue? It looks like a serious growth caused by a tumour. Again, pause for their response and maybe even invite a response. The sample that was taken shows that it's a type of cancer called, and then you can name the particular condition. Allow a pause at that point so that the patient's response can come. And if it doesn't, invite a response such as, what is passing through your thoughts now? Often the patient's responses will guide you towards what information is needed or what the patient's concerns are. At times the patient may respond with a flood of questions. What will happen now? Am I going to die? What's the treatment? What if I can't go to work? What will happen to my family? Trying to answer all these questions at once risks the start of a sort of mini lecture, which is probably not what the patient needs. And the clinician can feel rather overwhelmed by all those questions. A better way is to empathise with the underlying feelings that underpin all those questions by saying something like, you have a lot of questions right now. It all sounds as though you're feeling pretty overwhelmed. If such a statement is followed by a pause, the patient's response will be a guide to what's needed next. Remember that saying, what questions have you got now is more effective than saying any questions. It may be the patient will then prioritise and say, the most important question I have is this, or they may feel recognised in their situation of being overwhelmed and they need then some holding skills, a pause, a chance to express their emotions rather than a simple list of answers to their questions. So what are holding approaches? Holding approaches are useful when powerful emotions come to the fore. Receiving a significant piece of news usually requires time for its impact to sink in and pauses offer the necessary space for patients to digest and process what they're hearing. Space and silence can be important holding phenomena. Silence can sometimes make clinicians feel awkward and result in a rush to say something to fill the gap. But silence holds the patient and helps them to gain some clarity because they can think about things without distraction. It is natural and normal for bad news to give rise to powerful emotions, which vary between patients, could include shock and disbelief, sadness, fear, anger, or a frightening sense of vulnerability. Emotions may be expressed verbally, and the clinician must listen attentively for any clues or cues about this. But emotions can also be expressed non-verbally with weeping, restlessness, or avoidance of eye contact. Silence allows the patient time to process and begin to cope with such strong feelings. And the clinician can be prepared for this and be willing to sit with the patient's distress, at least for a short while. 
Psychologists advise against touching people who are expressing strong emotions, as this can be felt as an injunction to stop or suppress feelings. And if someone is angry, touch can be experienced as hostility or as a threat, which can inflame the situation even more. Paradoxically, if, if you're able to say something like, take your time, in a calm and kindly way, the patient will often respond to this acceptance by being able to gather themselves back together. A period of silence, if a patient is weeping, perhaps followed by a very small nudge to the tissues, but not to the patient, can be calming and helpful. Many clinicians are anxious about the expression of strong emotions, perhaps feeling that the patient must be soothed and made to feel better, or that sitting with someone else's distress is rather painful, especially if the bad news indicates that there will be no quick fix. Receiving strong feelings with the skills of non-judgmental acceptance, empathy and kindness is actually very helpful to patients who do not expect everything to be fixed, but hope that they will be cared for and held psychologically at such difficult moments. It follows that the clinician needs to be self-aware enough not to become embroiled in the patient's emotions, acting more like a kindly witness rather than offering to cure or fix everything. It's important to be able to distinguish between the emotions that belong to the patient and the feelings that belong to ourselves as clinicians. This is an important skill and it means having appropriate boundaries in place. Having effective boundaries for yourself does not mean being indifferent or callous to the patient's suffering. Rather, it means that we can recognise the nature of the patient's emotion, name it accurately and tolerate the expression of that emotion without taking it personally. Sometimes patients can be angry about the consequences of any bad news. This does not necessarily mean they are angry with you as the clinician, although it may often seem that way. The clinician who remains calm, observing and kind will do a great service to the patient who is distressed by the bad news they are hearing. It means the clinician has remembered that the bad news belongs to the patient. Finally, it's useful to identify the potential plans for care going forwards. Emphasise what can be hoped for in the present situation, showing yourself to be an ally of the patient. For example, saying something like, we'll be working together on this, I'll be here to help you get through it. Summarising and skills for closing the consultation will be needed to check understanding and appropriate follow-up, and these are covered in the appropriate modules. After such conversations, the clinician themselves might need a short break to reset themselves. And this is covered in the chapter called How Can You Go Home With Energy To Spare in Module 1. Clinicians might also consider scheduling a debriefing conversation with a trusted colleague to process how things went, reflect on what went well, and perhaps how to deal with any difficult issues in future conversations. Teaching and learning these skills is important and plenty of time needs to be set aside so that we can practice all the usual skills of the consultation with greater depth, intention and intensity. It can be useful to practice breaking bad news as a kind of simulation similar to the way we practice CPR and there are lots of suggestions for doing this in the written materials that come with this chapter. Thank you.
This podcast was brought to you by NHS Professional Educators, making training available to all.